Welcome to the Christian Ministry Church Podcast. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. Now for today's message by Pastor Paul Kern. Well, it's great to see everyone this morning. We want to welcome those of you who are joining us for the first time here at Christian Ministries. My name is Paul Kern. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Also, we have 20,000 listeners each month on our audio podcast to hear our sermons and our messages. And we just want you guys to know how blessed we are that you listen to the content that we put out here at Christian Ministries Church. And I want to encourage you, you know, write us a letter Send us an email. You can go to our website, cmchurch.com, and scroll down to the bottom to our contact, and just send us a little, a little message just saying how you're encouraged. It blesses us, and maybe if you have a prayer need, we can pray over you. We'll certainly do that. Our staff meets weekly, and we'll pray over those needs uh, for you. But I'm excited about Christian Ministries Academy starting this week and Applied Life Leaders Academy starting this week. All of our schools, yeah, come on, give it up. All of our schools are starting up again. We're gonna have young people wall to wall all over the place, but I love that. I love all of our young people, and like Stacy said, thank each and every one of you. You know, your investment, your, your faithfulness to the tithe and the offering are what make it possible for us to do what we do with the young adults that we pour into each and every week. And we're raising up the next generation. You know, I think about all these young leaders up on the stage. I mean, literally, I mean, you saw Lucas in the video. He was a young man. He was raised up here. Now he is the worship leader. And, and these young people that are up on this stage and they're in our schools and in our internship, they will be the ones that are running this ministry in the years to come uh, when we're not running it when somebody else is doing it. And so you have a part to play in sowing those seeds and passing that baton forward. And that's a powerful thing, amen? I mean, that's a powerful, powerful thing. Are y'all ready to receive the word this morning? So I, I wanna talk to you a little bit about the topic of being desperate, being desperate. How many of you have ever been in a desperate situation? I mean, you can think of it. I mean, it like comes to your mind, a desperate situation. I actually have had many uh, desperate situations in my life. Most I created uh, myself. Uh, but I, I want to share one with you to kind of tie it in with my message. So when I was in college, and this was back when I was um, 21, 22 years old, I was in college, and I had come in from college to see my girlfriend. And um, I was at her house, at her parents, she actually stayed with her parents, and I was at her parents' house, and it was in the middle of the winter. So it was really cold outside, we'd had snow flurries. Um, it was a Friday night, I believe, and I had accidentally fallen asleep. So I woke up at three in the morning, and I'm at her house. Well, I panic, because I'm like, if her dad wakes up and finds me at her house in three in the morning, he's gonna kill me. And so I immediately get myself up, I get out to my truck, and I'm heading down the road. Now, like any young guy, I just want you to know that I was dressed for the occasion. I had on my shorts, and I had on my t-shirt, just like any young guy does in the middle of the winter, right? I've, I've had many conversations, and that's why if you're a young person and I come up to you and it's in the middle of winter and you're wearing your shorts, it's because I have PTSD, from a traumatic experience that I'm about to share with you 
that you know nothing about, and I learned my lesson of not wearing shorts in the middle of the winter. So I'm in my truck, it's about 27 degrees outside, the snow is coming down, it's 3.30 in the morning, and I am on my way home. Now my home was out in the country. We lived 18 miles out, so you took back roads to get to where uh, I lived. And you know, I grew up in the heart of Northeast Texas, so there's a lot of farm to market roads, there's a lot of oil top roads, and so I'm traveling, and I'm in the middle of nowhere, and I look down at the temperature gauge in my truck, and it is doing this quickly. And, you know, if you're an auto mechanic in the room or if you're somebody who knows a little bit about, you know, the, the radiator temperature in your car, that's really critical that that thing stays in the middle. You don't want it going way over here to the H. That's, that's a bad sign. Well, it's going over to the H quickly, and I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and it's over on the H in the red. Well, I'm, I know enough about vehicles to know that I can't keep driving it. If I do, I'm gonna run my engine. So uh, I pull over on the side of this farm to market road, out in the middle of nowhere, 27 degrees outside, in my shorts, in my t-shirt, by myself. Now that's a desperate situation. I think I even said to myself, I'm in a desperate situation. <laughs> and I thought, okay, now what am I going to do? And, you know, I thought, well, I'll sit here and wait for a car to come. Well, I sat there and waited 30 minutes for a car to come, and no car came, which, you know, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm on a farm-to-market road. It's 3.30 in the morning. I'm not really expecting a lot of traffic. So no car comes. It's getting cold. I can't run my truck. I can't use the heater. So I've got to make a decision. So my decision was... I can sit here in the fetal position and die in my truck and they'll discover me in the morning, I'll be a blue popsicle, or I can get out and set foot, get some blood circulating and try to find somebody's house. So I set out on the road and I'm going. I don't remember how far I walked, I think it was probably a mile or two and I finally saw this light in the distance and it was like, you know, hope, right? The light, there's a house and so, I go up to the house, and you know, listen, it's, it's unnerving going up to somebody's house at four in the morning, right? I mean, it's not the smartest thing to do. You don't go up to people's houses at 4 a.m. in the morning and start knocking on their door, at least not where I grew up. It was not a good idea, but I was desperate, right? I was desperate, and desperate times call for help me. Desperate measures, that's right. Desperate measures. So I went up to the door and I knocked. And I knocked and I knocked. And finally, the porch light comes on, right? And I'm like, yes, rescued. Then the lights inside the house come on. And I kind of hear some, nothing's happening. The door's not opening. And I'm like, okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm out here and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm freezing cold. And I just, you know, I got my story rehearsed. I'm ready to pitch it to him. And so I hear this voice on the other side of the door say, I don't know who you are, but I got my shotgun and you better get out of here or I'm going to blow you off this porch. And I'm like, are you serious? And so I start yelling, no, 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 don't shoot. 
you're like, right? Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. My truck broke down, and I just, I need to use your phone. And he said, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to call the cops. And I'm like, call the cops. Call them. Call all of them. I want them all here. And then the voice says, I'm going to count to three. And if you're not gone, you're going to get shot. Three, two, I'm running. I'm gone. So I'm running through the snow, down the road, back to my truck. Well, by now it's, you know, almost five o'clock in the morning. I, I'm hurting. I can't feel my toes. I can't feel my fingers. I've got little pieces of ice on my eyelashes. I actually had hair then, thank God. I probably wouldn't have survived. I had snow all in my hair. So I got back in my truck and I stayed there in the fetal position until daylight. And then I hiked five miles to the nearest town that had population 3,232 people and one hound dog. And that was all that was there. Now you gotta understand, if you're a young person, you're thinking, why didn't you get on your cell phone and call? Because we didn't have cell phones then. That's back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, back when I was a kid, right? So there were no cell phones. And back in those days, they had pay phones. Now you could drop a coin in, a dime was what you paid at that time. I searched everywhere for a pay phone. I could not find a pay phone. So literally I had to wait until eight o'clock in the morning until a station opened up for me to finally be rescued. You talk about a terrible situation to find yourself in. Now, I look back now and it's funny, right? It's hilarious. But at the time, it wasn't. It was bad. I mean, and it was cold. And, and you know, I will say I learned a lesson. Number one, don't fall asleep at your girlfriend's house that late at night. And number two, put some clothes on in the wintertime. You never know that your car might break down. A desperate situation. The definition of desperate is a state of despair. Listen to this, a state of despair, typically one which will result in rash and extreme behavior. It, it, it's just crazy what desperate situations will do to you. Desperate situations in your life, literally, they flip everything. Like, it, it's like everything comes into razor-sharp focus when you're in a desperate situation. As a matter of fact, everybody's heard the term, desperate times call for what? Desperate measures. Well, why do they say that? Why do they say it calls for desperate measures? Well, because desperation becomes a measurement in your life by which all other less important things fall underneath because that situa situation of desperation literally forces itself to the top of your life. It takes precedent over everything in your life. And we've all been there. We've all been in a desperate situation, whether it was something that was just thrust upon us from life or a decision that we made ourselves. But when you become desperate, there is a shift that happens in your heart and in your mind. Can I have an amen? Things change. Your to-do list changes. Your plans change. Your focus 
changes everything. Your life takes a completely different course with a whole new set of priorities when you find yourself in a desperate situation. And here's the thing. Desperate situations lots of times are results of what we do. Sometimes they're a result of what we didn't do. Sometimes they have nothing to do with anything that we did. It's just the circumstances of life that happened to us. But, but the thing about desperation is it literally trumps everything else in your life. Life can just be going normal as, as far as normal can be, and now all of a sudden, every single thing in your life is changed. We've all been in a situation like that. Now, there's situations like this in the natural, right? Somebody gets sick, or we um, move to a new location, or whatever. You know, things shift, change, things change in the natural. But there's also times in the spirit where things take a shift. There's, there's times in the spirit where spiritually you were doing okay, and now spiritually you're not doing okay. I think there's we all have ebbs and flows in life, right? We all have ups and downs. We have moments where spiritually we're, we're on top and we're doing well, and there's times where we're not. It, it happens to everybody. Where you used to be satisfied, where you used to be content, you're no longer satisfied, you're no longer content. And this, this is what I describe, and I've had this happen in my life before. You know, I was content where I was spiritually until I wasn't. And when I wasn't, what I call that is a holy discontentment. And lots of times, a holy discontentment will produce this desperation inside of your soul and inside of your heart that it, it reorders your focus in life, changes everything about your life. It, it's a place of desperation in your soul where you're so compelled by your spirit that it literally overrides your state of heart and your state of mind. It just pushes you in a completely different direction. You know, I think about when I gave my life to Christ. I was 23 years old. And you guys have heard me share a little bit about my testimony. Maybe some of you listening by live stream or podcast that are new or those here with us for the first time, you haven't. But, you know, I grew up in a broken home. Um, there was a lot of alcoholism and dysfunction in my family, and so I started down that path at a very young age. My parents divorced, uh, you know, when I was in my early teens, and man, I got into drugs, and I got into alcohol, and just living a really bad life, and you know, my life really went downhill fast. But you know, I, I, that was just normal life for me. You know, when you're lost, that's just normal life. Drinking, drugging, partying, that's normal everyday life. That's just what you do. You don't really think anything about it. That's just how you live. So, you know, for me, for the most part, life in my mind was good. I had money. I had drugs. I had alcohol. I had friends. I had girls. I had parties. On the outside, everything looked fine. Everything was good. And on the inside, Everything was fine. I was pursuing my natural course until all of a sudden it wasn't fine. See, one of the things that causes 
desperation or triggers in your life. Lots of times there are events or happenings that take place that, you know, one moment you were fine and now you're not. For me, what happened in my life, and like I said, that was my normal routine, that was the way I lived, that's what I did every day. But then I lost or started losing some of my friends to drugs and alcohol. An overdose, an accident, a car wreck, a suicide. And in the midst of all this, when you start losing friends, your focus changes. There's something inside of you that causes you to begin to look at your life, to look at yourself. Well, this happened, but then there was an event that really was kind of the catalyst for me really surrendering my life to Christ. I, I had a, a girlfriend. She wasn't a romantic girlfriend. She was just a girlfriend, and she was literally my best girlfriend. And we would do things together a lot. Like I said, it was never romantic. We were just friends, and, and um, she would ride motorcycles with me, all different kinds of things. But we, we partied. But the thing about it is she wasn't really a person who did a lot of drugs like me. She hung out with that crowd, and she was a really, really sweet girl. She was just a really great young lady. She was a couple of years younger than me, and, and one of the things, and, and you know, I'm, I'm just sharing this with you, just not to glorify the enemy, but just to give you a little bit of backstory to my testimony and, and let you know kind of a little bit of my background and where I come from. Now, obviously, this was many, many years ago when I was way, way younger, but back when I was a kid, one of the things that was really kind of popular um, in the drug culture was going into Walmart and getting a little can of R12 Freon. R12 is what went in cars back in those days, and you could poke a hole in the R12 and the gas would come out, and you could huff that gas and you would get really high. Well, when I had gone to college, um, that was what I did. I went to tech school and we did, became an air conditioning refrigeration guy. And um, so I knew, I knew all about refrigerants. I had all different kinds of refrigerants in my work truck. And so my best friend Shannon and another young man and some other young women that were, we were all in town and talking and this was during the day. They came to my house one afternoon and, you know, we got this drum of refrigerant out and they started huffing it and people were getting high and laughing and they'd pass out. And it was all fun and games. It was just fun and games. I didn't think anything about it. Well, that night, just my normal routine was to get high, to get drunk. That's what I did every night. I came home probably around 11.30, it was a weeknight, and my friend was out with another guy, and they came by my house and they took the refrigerant bottle out of my truck. And they were heading to his house several miles out of town, and they were huffing this refrigerant on their way out to his house. Well, they were already drinking, and apparently he passed out behind the wheel 
He went off the road going 60, 65 miles per hour, hit a tree head on. The car, um, when it went off in the ditch, somehow a lot of the terrain threw his door open and he was thrust from the vehicle, but Shannon was still in the car, hit the tree head on, the truck exploded into flames and she literally burned to death in the car. And so the next day, I found out about this, and obviously, you know, everything about my life began to change because I had just lost a good friend of mine uh, to drugs and alcohol. As a matter of fact, he had made a beer run and um, wrecked his car. He was in a ditch for three days, as a matter of fact, before some women found him picking up aluminum cans. So I had these two deaths happen with friends that were close to me, and it was like a a, a catalyst in my life, and especially when I was at her funeral as a pallbearer. I remember lying to her parents because I just didn't have the courage or just the will to tell them what really happened to her. So I lied to them. But I remember carrying her casket from the car to the graveside where she was going to be buried. And I, I, I began to think about my life. Well, it was about two or three weeks after that, I was lying in my bed one night, high on cocaine, and God spoke to me. And I knew it was God because I wasn't in conversation with the Lord. I wasn't living for God, so I know it was God. There was no mistaking it. And the voice that spoke to me, it wasn't like, I love you or anything like that, the voice that spoke to me said, if you don't leave this town, you're going to die. And there was a, a shift that happened in my life that night, in my heart. It wasn't at church, it wasn't at camp, it wasn't at VBS, it wasn't any kind of spiritual moment, it was just, as a matter of fact, you are on your way to death. And so that morning I woke up and I, I was a different person. Now, now my life was the same on the outside, granted, but everything was different on the inside. See, my focus changed. And I, I began to notice over the course of the next three weeks, because literally from the time that that happened, three weeks later I was in Arkansas. I had no clue any of this was going to happen. But when that moment happened in my life, my heart began to become so desperate for a change, so desperate for healing, so desperate for a spiritual connection that I had been looking for for so many years and drowning it with drugs and alcohol because of the hurt and the pain from my upbringing, yet this, this catalyst moment happened my heart was becoming desperate. As a matter of fact, I still was doing drugs after that happened, but they didn't satisfy me. It just did not meet the need that it once met in my life. Some of you may have similar uh, testimonies. You know, maybe similar things happened to you in your life, but I had a desperate moment in my life, and it was a trigger that caused this place of desperation to happen for me. 
And like I said, the definition of desperation is it causes you to make extreme and rash decisions. And so my extreme rash decision was that I have to find God. I have to find him. And just through a chain of events, applied life was made aware to me, our internship that we have here in Arkansas. I'd, I'd never been here. I didn't know the leadership here. I didn't even know anything about it. But I knew that's where I was supposed to go. And literally within three weeks' time, I was in Arkansas. And it was here that God began to change my heart. God began to heal my life. God began to show me my identity. And everything about my life changed. Why? Because my heart became desperate. You know, the title of my message today is Desperate for God. This feeling of desperation overtook my life, and when it overtook my life, all of my priorities changed. What was important to me was no longer important to me. Certain directions that I had planned for my life and things that I was going to do, they all got flipped upside down. Because desperate times call for desperate measures. And so now my, my scale of measurement had changed because pursuing a life that Paul wanted was no longer the life that I wanted to pursue. It was pursuing a life that God wanted for me. And now God's kingdom and God's will became the standard of measurement by which everything else in my life fell underneath because my heart had become desperate. I no longer wanted that life. I no longer was fulfilled by the drugs. I no longer was fulfilled by the alcohol. I no longer was fulfilled by the parties. Even though what was really, really weird because I knew nothing else and my habit pattern was to do that, even after I had that encounter with the Lord in the bed, I was still going to the parties and still doing the drugs for a short period of time, not long, for a short period of time because there was this, this revolution <laughs> literally that was taking place inside my heart and it was making its way into my brain. It was changing the way I saw my friends, the way I thought, the way I patterned my life. Everything about my life became literally meaningless and void. And I became desperate for God. Desperate. And you know, we see this happening all through the scripture. There's a lot of people who encounter Jesus Christ in the scripture. They encounter the Lord in the scripture and their life is completely changed. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul. He's my namesake. My mom named me after the Apostle Paul. And I think about Paul, who was once Saul, a persecutor of Christians. And on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus. It's crazy. As a matter of fact, Paul's standing before King Agrippa and he says at noon, one day, King Agrippa, I was traveling, me and my companions, and a, and a light began to shine all around us, brighter than the sun. And I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why do you resist my will? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who art thou, Lord? He said, it's I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He said, but arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for a purpose. A purpose. 
a purpose. See, God appeared to me for a purpose. God appeared to you for a purpose. There's a purpose. There's a plan. There's a calling on your life. Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. See, this desperate heart caused the measurement of Paul's life to shift, and now what was once important to Paul now has become unimportant to Paul. As a matter of fact, here's what he says. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. See, that's what happens. I left my friends. I left my family. I left my job. I sold my car. I sold my motorcycle. I quit everything that I was doing instantly. I came to Arkansas. I knew no one, nobody knew nothing. All I knew is I was desperate. I was desperate, man desperate and God met me in that place just like he met Paul just like he met David just like he's met so many people throughout the history of the world desperation desperation lots of people face desperate times in their lives they have a sense of desperation for something they have a sense of a desperation for some moment or some thing or or desperation concerning some person in their life. People become desperate for a new job or desperate for a relationship or desperate for a new car or desperate for a move or a new home. We become desperate to see a dream fulfilled or a desire come about in our lives. But like I said before, whatever it is that we, will, that we are desperate for, it, it will influence the focus of our lives. It, it'll literally become the measurement by which everything else is measured. It it becomes the most important thing, and everything else falls underneath that. Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, listen to what he says. He says, so above all, above all, above all, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, then all these less important things will be supplied to you abundantly. Houses, cars, money, vacations, gadgets, friends, stuff, all these things, all these things. See, Jesus compels us to seek God's kingdom above everything else. In other words, be desperate for the kingdom. And when you become desperate for the kingdom, guess what happens? All that other stuff? It's not really all that important to you anymore. See, when you get in a desperate situation, what happens is is the floodlight perspective of your life, it becomes a spotlight. It's like blinders go up. I mean, you're literally looking for one thing. You're, You're pursuing one thing. That, 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 that thing that you're desperate for, that thing that you want more than anything else, that becomes the thing, the thing in your life. Jesus said that our desperate hearts need to make his kingdom the greatest pursuit in all of our life. Why? Why did Jesus say to make his kingdom 
the greatest pursuit, that we should be desperate for it more than anything else. Why did Jesus say that? Well, Jesus clarified. In Matthew chapter 6, I mean, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain, help me, the whole world and yet forfeit or sacrifice his soul? What good does that do? And the fact is, God knows our needs. God knows what is necessary for our lives. Matthew 6, it says God knows what we need before we even ask. So God already knows what we need. So why are we so desperate for things that God already knows what we need? And he said if we'll pursue his kingdom, he'll provide those things. Those things will take care of themselves. So we can be confident that God is watching over us. Therefore, we can place our confidence and our focus on him and what really matters most. I had this encounter with the Lord when I was 23 and I knew I could no longer, no, I could no longer live my life the way that I was living it. And I could not possibly see myself moving forward without God being a central figure in my life. There was no way that I could do it. My heart was so desperate for him that I literally reorganized my entire life. Everything. I just cold turkey quit. Everything. Because I was desperate. Now, I'm not condemning you if you didn't cold turkey quit. It happened, things happen differently for different people. But what I will tell you is, is when you become desperate, you are empowered and your focus becomes different and you enable God and his anointing to move in your life in such a way that it can literally shake things off of you. Literally shake things off of you. You remember the Apostle Paul when he was in prison? It was midnight and they were in shackles and chains. They were so desperate not to be free, not to get out of there. They were so desperate for God that they were singing praises and hymns and the scripture says that the shackles fell off and the door swung open wide. See, seek first the kingdom and all these what? Other things, less important things. See, God saw the fact Paul knowing him was more important than him being in prison. Prison was less important. Because they can imprison his body, but they can't imprison his heart and his soul. I was desperate. And I came to Arkansas. And guess what? Jesus met me here. He met me. He loved me. He healed me. He restored me. And he changed me. But here's the problem that I've noticed for a lot of believers. I've been in ministry now for over 30 years. I've watched lots of people come and go through the doors of our church. I've talked to lots of pastors that have had people come and go through the doors of their churches. And here's a problem that I've, I've recognized with a lot of believers. They attend church. They fulfill their religious obligations. Some even tithe some of their income but they're not desperate. They're not desperate. They're here. They're going through the motions. And don't get me wrong, they're Christians. They're going to heaven when they die. That's not, that's not even a contention. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and believe in him, I mean, you're heaven bound. 
There's no doubt about it. That, that's a done deal. We're not talking about entering into the heavenly kingdom. What we're talking about is living in the heavenly kingdom on earth. See, our vision this year for our church, and for those of you who are joining us new or maybe have just tuned in, each year we have a vision for our church. This year, the vision is the kingdom of God, seeking the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, when you walk into this auditorium, right above the center doors, there's a sign that says, seek first the kingdom of God. Above all else, seek the kingdom of God. And so there's people who attend church and they go through the, the religious obligation of being at church. But there's something missing. And here's the problem with your heart not being in the right place. When your heart is not desperate, and when you're not in the right place, there's something missing. And when you're in church, in God's house, and there's something missing in your heart, here's what I can tell you. You won't last very long. Because you will be led to believe that I'm in church, my needs are not being met spiritually, I still have a void in my life, therefore, religion is not the answer for me. And you'll put it within the package of religion and you'll walk out the door. I've seen a lot of people do it. Now, in the meantime... Here's what will happen. You'll encounter people who they got it. What is it? Well, it is what you ain't got. It is what you wished you had, but you don't have it. And you encounter people, you know they got it. How do you know they got it? You recognize it. Can you define it? Mm, I don't know if I can actually define it, but I definitely know who's got it and who doesn't, and I don't. So you look around the room and you see people in worship and you see people responding in worship. They're experiencing something powerful. You watch people, they're, they're listening to the word as it's being preached, and they're, and they're leaning in. They're like, they're focused. I mean, they're not on their phone, you know, looking at Instagram or, or you know, Snapchatting a friend or on TikTok. No, they're, they're leaning in. They're focused. They're, they're, they're like just staring a hole through the guy who's speaking up on the stage. And you look at them when you don't have it, and you look at those that have it, and you wonder why you're not experiencing what they're experiencing. And, and you wish that you were experiencing, kinda, you wish you were experiencing what they were experiencing, but maybe, I don't know, they're kind of fanatical acting. I'm not sure if I wanna go quite that route. And see, I was one of these people at one time. I got drugged to church. I saw some of those crazy folks acting weird worshiping, I mean, caught up, amening, I mean, into it, man. I'm, I'm distracted. I'm like, I'm ready to go. You know, maybe the Christian life is new to you. Maybe you're listening to our podcast, and, you know, you haven't been a believer very long. Maybe you're 
fairly young in the Lord, or maybe you've been a Christian for years and years and years. Well, regardless of what category you fall into, here's one thing that I can tell you about having a desperate heart. Here's one way that I can assure you that you will never have it. It's really, really hard to be hungry for the Lord when you're full of the world. And, and you encounter people who, now, understand, I'm talking, I'm talking to church people right now. So it's not like we're out robbing banks. We're not committing adultery. We're not out, you know, selling drugs. I'm not talking about that. I, I'm talking about a mindset of one foot being over here in the world and one foot being in the kingdom because if you're full of worldly desires, you're not going to be hungry for kingdom desires. You're just not. If, you're, if, you're, if your appetite is being satisfied by the world, if you're full of pride, in other words, if you're unwilling to repent and recognize your need, a desperate need in your life. You have a, a desperate need. You know, I, I, I sit here in the third row. Every I've been doing this for years, years and years and years, pretty much ever since we've been in this building here, and, and just Christian ministries in general, but especially in our new building here since 2011. You know, we, 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 we sit on the third row here, you know, and, and we engage in worship. I listen to the word. And, I, and I'm just going to share with you what I'm thinking when I'm in my seat, just so you'll know what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking and what's coming out of my mouth a lot of the time while I'm sitting there is, God, I'm so desperate. I'm desperate. Now, I'm blessed. Don't get me wrong. I have clothes. I have food. I have a home. I have friends. I'm blessed. I mean, in the natural, I have everything I need. I'm so blessed. But I'm so desperate. I need God every day. As a matter of fact, I need God not every day. I need God every moment of every day. I need to practice God's presence in my life all the time. See, there's a big difference but sitting in your seat and, and admiring the worship. Oh, that was good worship. Man, they're skilled, they're gifted. There's a big difference between sitting in your seat and admiring a message. Man, I admired that message. Man, that was a good message Josh preached. There's a big difference between admiring things and things coming inside of you and changing who you are. See, that's, that's what happens when you have a desperate heart. And like I said, I've seen a lot of people come and go. I met a lot of people who were once desperate for God. They initially met Christ. They were desperate for Christ. They would do anything for Christ. They left their home. They did things like I did. They made drastic decisions in their life to reorder their life. I've met people like that. But over time, their enthusiasm for the Lord grew cold. 
It did. It waned. They were once desperate. They would do anything. They would go anywhere. They would sell anything, any amount of money, any kind of mission trip. God, you say it. I, send me, God. I will be your man or your woman. But then time and the trials of life and the temptations of the world have now leached out their enthusiasm and their desperation for the Lord. Jesus talked about this in Revelation. He's talking to the church of Lady Osea. He said, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. And clearly at one time they were hot for the Lord. Clearly at one time they were desperate for the Lord. But obviously life can have a way of changing that. And that's what we have to guard against, church. That's what we have to make sure that we as leaders in our own right, that we are paying attention and we are leading ourselves well. Is your heart desperate? Today, as you sit here in this seat, I have a question for you. Are you desperate for the Lord? Are you hungry for the Lord? Does God's kingdom consume you? Is it all that you think about? Is that your priority in your life? See, listen, at one time they were there and now they're not. At one time they were delivered. At one time they got set free. At one time they were saved. But listen, it's one thing to be delivered. It's another thing to stay delivered. See, it's one thing to be set free. It's another thing to live every day staying set free. Can I have an amen? Being desperate for God, that's a place that we all need to live consistently. It's an attitude of the heart that says, I desperately need the Lord every day in my life. Every single day, I couldn't imagine trying to move forward in my life without God in my life. Being desperate says, I never want to leave this place of being desperate because I know if I get to a place of not being desperate, then I'm not in the place that I need to be. Then I become susceptible to a lot of other distractions that can come my way in life. Jesus continued talking to the church of Laodicea. As a matter of fact, he he contrasted hearts that were desperate and hearts that weren't. And here's what he said. He says, you say I'm rich and I've acquired wealth and I don't need anything. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me refined in the fire so that you can become rich and clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who will open the door to me, I will come in and I will sit down with you at the table and we will have supper together, I with you and you with me. Jesus stands at the door of your heart today. As I conclude my message, he's knocking. There's a rap, rap, rapping at the door of your heart. And whether you're a new Christian or you may be here and you don't even know the Lord, maybe you've never even given your life to Christ. Maybe you've thought about it. Obviously, you're here. Something's going on in your heart. Maybe you've just accidentally found us on Pandora and you just tuned in or you're listening on Amazon right now and you, just, you don't really know exactly how you found us, but you found us and now you're listening to this message. But I want you to know Jesus wants to come into your life. 
And when Jesus comes into your life, Jesus described the kingdom of God as like leaven in dough. This is a little bit of leaven. It'll permeate the whole dough and it'll change the whole makeup of the dough. It causes the dough to rise. It causes it to rise and expand. It becomes more than what it was before. And then it can be broken and it can feed thousands of people. That's what God wants to do with our lives. But Jesus warned us. He said, let me tell you something else that's like leaven. It's sin. See, sin will come into your life. And the interesting thing about leaven, when you mix yeast into dough, there's a chemical reaction that takes place. Literally, there's an agitation that takes place within the dough. A chemical unrest begins to happen within the dough, and the dough literally changes its state. And that's what sin does to us when it comes into our life. It brings a chemical unrest. It changes our perspective. It gets our hearts and our eyesight skewed onto other things. You can't have two lives. You can't have one in the kingdom and one in the world. You've got to pick sides. And when you pick sides, then you can become holy his, and then you'll watch your heart begin to change. You know, listen, a lot of people think it's really, really complicated. Paul, it's so complicated, and my life is so complicated, and I've got so many issues and so many problems that you don't know anything about. But listen, friend, I'm just telling you. I'm here to tell you. They wouldn't even send me to a counselor. My life was such a mess when I was younger. I don't even know, they didn't even know where to start with me. It was such a mess. But it's really not that hard. It's just surrender. It's just surrender. Surrender your will to Him. And then you get in the Word and you begin to read your Bible. You begin to talk to God a little bit through prayer. Put yourself around some people that have desperate hearts. And just like that, the leaven of the kingdom will begin to permeate your mind, permeate your heart, permeate your soul. And all of a sudden, you will find yourself not wanting to do those drugs anymore, not wanting to drink that alcohol anymore, not wanting to sleep around anymore, not wanting to pursue those things anymore. It'll all become dead to you. Why? Because you're different. You're different. And it will cause a desperation to come over your life that causes you to do extreme rash things. But those extreme rash things will lead you to Christ. They'll lead you to Christ. Bill Johnson said, you don't bring transformation and influence by marrying the culture. You bring, transform, you bring transformation and influence by marrying the kingdom. And that's what we're all about here in our church. We're about the kingdom. As I end my message today, I want to read to you a psalm that David wrote. David was the king of Israel. He was a man that had all authority, all power, all riches. He had it all. He had it all. David, in in, in Human terms, he had everything. He had it all. Yet you read the Psalms, you don't read about David writing about his new chariot or his new palace or his new horses or his new garden or any of that. What you read about is David talking about how desperate he is for God. And here's what David said in Psalms 27. He says, here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. 
Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting for God will never disappoint you. And as I'm in my message today talking about having hearts that are desperate for God, it's my, it's my desire and I'm pleading with you as you listen. If you are not in that place, get yourself there. It's the best place to live life. It is so satisfying. It is so empowering. It is so freeing. It is so fulfilling. And guess what else? It's not boring. Now, religion is, but not Jesus and not his kingdom. Stand with me this morning. I, I want to end our time. I know it went a few minutes over, but I want to end our time here. I feel like the Holy Spirit's moving. I just want to give God an opportunity to touch your heart. And you, know, you may be here and you may say, Paul, man, my heart is desperate for God. Man, I identify with everything that you're saying. I'm so in love with Jesus. And, and that's awesome and that's wonderful. So what you can do is, is when we pray, you, you pray for those who aren't. You pray for those people whose hearts, they need to get there. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you today. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you sent Jesus. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for changing our hearts. Thank you, Lord. And God, we just ask that you help us to live in that place of desperation where we, we never ever come to a place where we'll be satisfied with anything less than you and your kingdom. And God, we lift up those today who maybe they're struggling, they're having a hard time, maybe they're not there, maybe they're enemies of Christ, enemies of the message of the kingdom. Lord, we pray for them also. And Lord, we ask that you draw them by your Holy Spirit, set them free, God, and move them into a deep relationship with you. Jesus, Jesus, Knock at their heart's door. Yes. Knock at their heart's door, Jesus, just like you did ours. Yes. And Lord, may they open that door and experience you. God, this week we go, we go out and about. We're around people. Lord, may our lives and our hearts influence those around us. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.